AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. We have got a full flight pattern for the show this morning. We'll get some perspectives on calves entering feed yards. We'll get the latest on what's happening in the energy markets. Learn about the priority list for the GOP now that a speaker has been elected. And we will get an update on the status of the Summit Carbon Solutions Pipeline. Live from your above-ground Ag Info Pipeline via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we'll begin with a conversation with Jordan Fife from BioUrgia. Then it's U.S. Representative Sam Graves from Missouri and later Lee Blank from Summit Carbon Solutions. Directly following the news, Greg Henderson from Drovers. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now here's the host of AgriTalk, Chip Laurie. All right, Davis, thank you so much. Man, oh man, looking at the radar here real quickly. We've got a line of showers from southern Texas to Ontario, dude. Is that right? Yes. Wow. It is a a long, long path of rain. Uh Uh-huh. How about you there uh, locally? You got anything going? Uh, Anything to report? I... It, it's raining on both sides of me. It's within a mile on both sides of me. Oh. We had very light rains overnight. I got missed by most of it. I okay. heard a little bit of thunder. But and so far this morning, it's just been blah. Uh-huh. But, mm-hmm. it, I mean, if it's going to do this, let's do it. Let's yeah. get some water flowing and mm-hmm. uh, put some stuff in the ground. Good grief. Bro, Good we got grief. a little something going on down here in KC. I'm not sure if the sun even works here anymore it was <laughs> it was raining pretty decent when i got up yeah somewhere in the neighborhood of six to seven ish okay. this morning okay it's foggy yeah. it's foggy but we've been getting rain yeah 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 uh snow is still falling up in montana north dakota and in the mountains in wyoming so uh, uh even up in in northwest south dakota there's some some snow flying up there so Boy, the change in the weather is coming, and it's coming in a hurry. All right, we got a lot of ground to cover today. What a lineup we've got. So let's get started with some news. Well, we can begin with the USDA daily export sale of 110,000 metric tons of soybeans to China during the 23-24 marketing year. Yeah, we need to continue to see those on a daily basis, and it would be nice if that was three or four times the size. That would Mm -hmm. be much better. Well, USDA's cold storage report showed frozen beef stocks climbed more than average during September, largely due to the previous month's figure revised down 15.1 million pounds. Mm-hmm. Pork stocks declined slightly last month. Yeah, it, it seems like there are some hints. I mean, barely some hints of a slowdown in beef demand in that cold storage report. Well, the National Weather Service continues to talk about a significant early season weather storm, uh, continues from the northern Rockies, Rockies through the northern plains Thursday, tapering off tomorrow. Heavy rainfall with the threat of scattered flash flooding for the southern plains and upper Great Lakes, much above temperatures for the east as winter-like cold spreads southward in the northern and central plains. 
Chip New House Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana, takes the reins of the bitterly divided House Republican majority. Johnson cited sending aid to Israel, fixing a, quote, broken southern border, and reining in federal spending as his top legislative priorities. Johnson pledged to try to, quote, restore the people's faith in this house. That would be great. Oh, yeah. It's one of the listen. <clears throat> That's got to be part of the conversation that we have with Representative Graves this morning. Yep. We'll talk about some other priorities, but I just want to hear about the condition of the of the Republican Party in the House and yeah. and uh, get get uh, Representative Graves' perspective on that. Well, a Johnson letter to House members said he wants a new farm bill debated in the House in yeah. December, but key unresolved issues remain among top farm bill leaders. While reports have surfaced of some additional funding being made available in the Senate, the additional funding is far from the level needed to significantly improve the Title I farmer safety net. Meanwhile, Chip, Senate Ag Committee Chair Debbie Stabenow added her voice to those calling for a one-year extension of the 2018 Farm Bill to prevent permanent law from kicking in and to allow lawmakers to work out details of the next version of the bill. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu revealed plans for his ground incursion into Gaza and emphasized the recent airstrikes were merely the beginning of the operation. Mm -hmm. This development occurs amid a humanitarian crisis in Gaza marked by a looming shortage of life-saving fuel and a crippled health care system. What a mess. What a mess. We're going to talk about um, the, the impact of what's happening in the Middle East on the energy markets with Jordan coming up here in the next segment. Chip Ukraine has suspended its newly established Black Sea Grain Corridor in response to what has been identified as a threat posed by Russian warplanes. Prior to the suspension, more than 40 cargo vessels had utilized the corridor to transport 1.5 million metric tons of various commodities, including grains, oilseeds, veg oils, and meals, out of Ukrainian ports. USDA released its food price forecast for 2024, indicating a modest increase in grocery prices nearing pre-pandemic levels. In 2023, food prices are expected to rise by 5.8% compared to 2022, with restaurant prices increasing by 7.1%. Grocery prices expected to rise 5.1%. These projections consistent with the September outlook and represent a tenth of a percentage point decrease from the August forecast, Chip. Yeah, and we had the GDP numbers out this morning, too, up 4.9% mm-hmm. in uh, third quarter GDP. That I, I think it was expected at 42 or 4.3%. So coming in at 4.9% is, uh, it, 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 again, it's, a, it's another big mess. But like Bubba would say, can you trust the numbers? <laughs> ah, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> we'll figure that out later. Thanks, Davis. You bet. Uh, let's bring in Greg Henderson, Editorial Director at Drovers. How you doing, Greg? Good morning, Chip. We're getting plenty of rain down here, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that cattle and feed report that we got last Friday, uh, give me some perspective on the bigger-than-expected placements pace in September. Right. So it's been a while since we saw a cattle and feed report that contained this big a surprise. Uh, Everybody expected that placement number to be up, but the 6% increase over September of last year was really surprising. And and drought and feed costs are two primary reasons. And, uh, you know, Kansas and Texas led the way with higher placements. Uh, Those placements were uh, from, come from those heavier category, heavier weight categories. Mm -hmm. Other key thing, chip here is marketings were at 1.66 million and that's the lowest number since 2015 
Jeez. So all of this adds up to uh, we've got a lot of heifers on feed. We placed more heifers again and uh, puts that number of heifers at about 4.6 million. That's 1.3% higher than last year. Chip, back in April, we were looking at a, a heifer on feed number that was 1.7% below the previous year. Yeah. So that tells us this drought is still going. That tells us that liquidation is still ongoing here. Uh, and and it's going to push this uh, this phase of the cycle out even further yeah. than we anticipated. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, the reaction was significantly negative on Monday with the limit down move. But absolutely. But long term, Greg, I don't this just it looks like there's more mess, more mess uh, in in the, the, the on the supply side of this cattle market. So. All right, buddy. Let's let's stay up to speed on it. Thank you so much. That's Greg Henderson. We got Jordan Fife coming up next here on AgriTalk. AgriTalk is brought to you by Neogen. Igenity Beef by Neogen is a simple DNA test that allows you to make selection decisions in your replacement heifers that will build the future of your cow herd. Learn more at Neogen.com. What if your commercial beef herd could be better than you thought possible? Genetic testing can help give you more confidence about what your herd is made of, and more importantly, what it can be. Inherit Select from Zoetis provides data-driven genetic insights to help you make more informed selection, breeding, and culling decisions about your cows and heifers. The journey from genetic potential to reality begins with Inherit Select. Ask a genetics rep how to save on testing with our whole herd promotion. Go to beefgenetics.com forward slash radio. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by Bravant Seeds. You want someone who knows how to do the whole job. That's what ag retailers do. That's why Bravant Seeds are available only through retailers. Find yours at bravant.com slash retail. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us on this Thursday morning. Um, boy, we've, we've got quite a lineup uh, for you. We're going to go through them in a hurry here this morning. And we're going to get things started with Jordan Fife. Jordan is the president of trading at BioUrgia, and he joins us right now. Jordan, welcome back to the show, buddy. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me as always, Chip. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, really good. I've been thinking about you a lot lately, you know, with the um, with, with the attack on Israel and the conflict in the Middle East. Uh, I 
just been wanting to get your impression on what that might mean for the energy markets going forward. How big of a deal is this? Yeah, I mean, whenever you have conflict in the Middle East, it's going to have a premium in oil. And the attacks happen on October 7th. Uh, and since then, we've had a run-up uh, of about uh, $9 in oil. Uh, but over the last four days, we've had a sell-off of $6. So really, it's a headline-grabbing thing. Everyone's waiting. When you have these kind of announcements like pauses on land invasion and everything like that, the market kind of reassesses, tries to reevaluate and place a value on, on that. Uh, but tensions are still high. Uh, you have OPEC members that are very close uh, to Israel and Palestine. Uh, that are you need to keep an eye on Saudi Arabia, Qatar, all yeah. those other places, uh, the UAE. Um, how they respond will always uh, influence the price and which way it's going to go. Uh, we have a lot of leaders going over to the Middle East uh, right now and meeting with various leaders. That helps ease some of the tension. We're seeing some of that sell-off right now. However, this could change at any moment. Uh, this is just one of those ones where you're glued to your Bloomberg terminal looking yeah. for headlines right now. Yeah, it, there, there, there are similarities between... Uh, this conflict and its impact on the energy markets and Russia's invasion of Ukraine and its impact on the grain markets. Uh, you said it, the, the headlines and it, the crude oil is going to be very sensitive to headlines as, as they develop. What it, it, We continue to hear that, that Israel may try to... Uh, uh, retaliate against iran on this is if that happens jordan that changes this game completely doesn't it a hundred percent uh you yeah. know if you get any kind of large conflict with with iran with saudi arabia with Qatar, with any of these yeah. kind of nations like that um you know it's going to force the united states hands i'm not a political expert by any stretch of the means but that would be the right. impact on the market right uh you would have to get some sort of uh, interaction with the united states they're going to have to probably back israel uh, and that would really move things along. Um, you know, and a lot of people relate this back to like, you know, 1974, right? That's the last okay. time we had this. There was the Arab-Israeli war. And what did that uh, uh, section of the Middle East do? They embargoed us. Um, yeah. And that's the reason we have a strategic petroleum reserve in the first place was because of that uh, under the Carter administration. However, for the United States, it's direct involvement. Things have changed dramatically since 1975 when the SPR was basically invented. Um, you know, back then we were importing roughly, you know, 24, 25% of our oil from Saudi yeah. Arabia. Uh, nowadays we're importing of the import origins. Canada's our biggest and it's 60%. The second biggest import we get nowadays is from Mexico. So, and that's 10%. So 70% of what we import these days is coming from neighboring companies, uh, countries rather. Yeah. Uh, also, if you take it back there, uh, again, this is the last time there was something like this involved. It was the Arab-Israeli war. Uh, in the early 70s, uh, and it really affected the United States' ability uh, to, uh, to, to manufacture and refine oil. That's not going to be the case now. That's the good news. The price will be affected, but our abilities of, to supply the United States, in my opinion, will not be greatly affected. Okay. Uh, we're producing, back then, in the early 70s, we we're producing 9 million barrels of oil a day. Uh, we're now 13.2, which, by the way, is an all-time high. We're breaking records on oil production in the United States. We're importing from neighboring countries. Uh, and we frankly just don't need as much in the SPR as we once did. It feels 
it's it sounds like you feel comfortable with the supply situation that we've got. I do. For yeah. the United States, for, for, for the energy US. security, yeah. yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I I can't stress that enough. You know, you hear so many headlines about the SBR and you know selling this and everything yeah. like that. Most people, little fun knowledge fact for you: uh, in 2015, most of what we're selling out of the SBR was mandated. Then uh, it is mandated we sell out of the SBR every single year to fund various government activities. That's just something that's going to continue to happen. Um, right now. We use the SPR as more of a geopolitical tool for oil prices than we really do for strategic purposes to serve the United States. If you go and research it, there is great debate right now over do we need 715 million barrels of storage for the SPR? My personal opinion is no, we don't. Uh, it's just too large. At one point, it was supposed to be 1 billion barrels. We never quite got there. We got to 715. I think it's probably oversized at this point. Uh, wow. We don't need all that tankage. Uh, we could probably shrink it down a little bit. Okay. Well, you know, we, we've been, since those sales out of the SPR, we've been waiting for the Biden administration to start to refill the SPR. And it was kind of weird timing because it was after the conflict in, in after Hamas moved on Israel, mm -hmm. that there was a comment from the Biden administration that, hey, we've got to take a look at maybe uh, starting to refill the SPR. It seemed like weird timing on that comment. Super odd timing, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it, it completely contradicted what they had said earlier. And I think their their goal was to buy back between like 65 and 71 or whatever the, you know, arbitrary yeah. number was, but lower than what it currently is. Right. Uh, you know, oil was trading in, in the 90s at that point uh, for WTI, uh, which is well above their mark or their target. So I, I didn't understand the timing on that. And really, you know, Chip, the only thing that's going to get us to those lower numbers, those targeted numbers that they had said earlier, the Biden administration in my opinion, is a global recession. So I don't root for the SBR to be refilled at this point. And for the reasons I said earlier, I don't think we really need to. Wow. Uh, it's okay. just one of those things that things have changed so dramatically since the 70s. Uh, you know, you talk about how much we sold and everything like that. So if we filled the entire SBR back up to 713 from what it is right now, it's at 50%, so about 360-something uh, barrels uh, in tank right now. So if you filled it all the way back up, OPEC cutting, 1 million barrels per day, which they've already done. They announced that back in June. That is the equivalent of half the SBR. So if you refilled it all the way and they wanted to, they could easily cut another million barrels and now it's booted. So the, wow. the ability for us to really manipulate the price, or that's a poor term, but to influence the price, rather, uh, the United States via the SBR, I think is also not what it was a couple of years ago. Okay. OPEC understands how to play their hand. They're playing it pretty well. Uh, we're going to have to ride this one out and to get to cheaper oil prices. Unfortunately, like I said, there has to be some sort of recession on that wow. topic. GDP okay. came out today at 4.9%. Yeah. Domestically, it doesn't seem like we're headed for a recession. Right, right. Okay. Uh, we got to be aware of that we're starting to run out of time, but I got to ask, what's the footing of the, uh, the ethanol market right now? Uh, prompt margins remain good on the board. The board crush for November is 34 cents. However, we're in a steep inverse. Dece is 20 cents positive, and then it goes to 8 cents in Jan and Feb. That's still good. Still contributing margin back on the back end of the curve. Uh, but ethanol has been very strong in terms of margins recently. Okay. Uh, Rin trade, is it telling you anything about demand? 
Um, not about demand, but more so uh, where renewable diesel and bio oh. uh, uh, biodiesel's uh, 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 margins are or were rather. We were at a dollar fifty rins about three or four months ago. I can't exactly remember, but a dollar fifty then became cheaper because the renewable diesel and biodiesel margins were too wide. It started to give off. The trade got wind of that. They started to get out of their length. Then they started to short it. We thought major oil companies would sc- step in around a dollar. They didn't. We bottomed out around 78 cents sometime last week, and now we're back up to 88 cents. This, to me, is more just a, an indication of where biodiesel and renewable margins are. Okay. You went to the BioUrge headquarters in India. You were there last That's, week. What did you learn? It's a, it's a completely eye-opening experience, uh, <laughs> one that I'm forever grateful to do. Uh, but, man, it is an emerging massive massive country uh the city that i was in in delhi new delhi the 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 state that it is in right next to it is 220 million people it's roughly (laughs) two-thirds of the united states population in a land size roughly one and a half size the time of uh, size of tennessee so the the compactness the amount of people and then the industry that is coming the amount of people that are driving now compared to just a couple years ago uh demand is only going to increase and that's one of the reasons i keep saying you know the 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 United States really doesn't hold the cards here. We're a country of just over 300 something million. There's 1.4 billion people in India right now. The 0.4 is larger than the United States. Yeah. Um, so we need to figure out a way to work with them, not only on traditional uh, uh, fuels, but on biofuels as well. Currently, they do not import fuel ethanol from the United States. If there'd ever be a chance to change that, it would really, really help the domestic uh, biofuels Boy, here in the United States. Ever. Well, they got to have some octane. They got to have some oxygen in it for all that fuel that they're consuming now. You uh, said it. Yeah, yeah. Man, I always learn something from you, Jordan. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks for having me as always. All right, buddy. Chip. You bet. Jordan Fife, president of trading at BioUrgia. Coming up next, conversation with Representative Sam Graves here on AgriTalk. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Beej, we've got some pressure on meal and beans. We've got uh, some strength in wheat, and corn seems like it's stuck in the middle. Yeah, uh, so the the soy complex, that's quite a turnaround. We were trading to the upside, and pretty solidly to the upside. Uh, But, boy, here at mid-morning, and just within the last uh, 10 minutes or so, uh, we've really seen uh, those markets uh, turn lower. Soybeans, five to six cents lower. Uh, Meals, more than a dollar lower at the moment. And uh, soy oil is about 40, 50 points lower. So, um, you know, this uh, quite quite a turnaround there. And that's despite... Um, strong demand news. So we had a daily export sale of soybeans to China. Uh, We had a marketing year high uh, weekly export sales of soybeans. And and, uh, so um, positive demand news there, but uh, we've run into some seller interest here at uh, mid-morning. Yeah, we had some good corn sales in the weekly export sales report too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, over 1.35 million tons uh, for corn sales. And, and so a good strong number there. And, and corn was trading solidly to the upside, yeah. but uh, the, the weakness in, in the soy complex is pulled, pulling that market off its highs as well. Uh, wheat is, is performing a little better, but also off its highs. All right. Take us over to the livestock trade. Well, uh, I'll start with hogs. Uh, moderate okay. gains there. So uh, corrective uh, rebound here. Uh, the cash market continues to drop on a seasonal basis, but uh, uh, we've seemed to find a, a little bit of footing. Uh, it's 
probably just a corrective rebound in the uh, the seasonal downturn. Uh, but we are seeing those moderate gains at mid-morning. Choppy action in the cattle market, uh, both live cattle and feeder cattle. Uh, mixed price action with the front end just a little bit firmer. Yeah, all right. Good stuff, Brian. Thank you so much. That is Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. What if your commercial beef herd could be better than you thought possible? Genetic testing can help give you more confidence about what your herd is made of, and more importantly, what it can be. Inherit Select from Zoetis provides data-driven genetic insights to help you make more informed selection, breeding, and culling decisions about your cows and heifers. The journey from genetic potential to reality begins with Inherit Select. Ask a genetics rep how to save on testing with our whole herd promotion. Go to beefgenetics.com forward slash radio. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. AgriTalk is brought to you by Neogen. Igenity Beef by Neogen is a simple DNA test that allows you to make selection decisions in your replacement heifers that will build the future of your cowherd. Learn more at Neogen.com. Throwing shadows in the dark. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Glad you're with us. Uh, boy, let's keep it going. Representative Sam Graves, representing the 6th District of Missouri in the U.S. House, joins us right now. Representative Graves, it's good to talk with you again. Welcome back. Thanks, Chip. I appreciate it. Yeah, glad that you are here. Has Harvest wrapped up at the Graves Farm in Missouri? No, we're probably about halfway done. Um, we moved to Beans and... and uh, uh, got a lot of the corn out already. Bean crop is a lot better than we expected it to be. Man, I hear that from everywhere now, everywhere. I, I was leaning down on, on the national average yield a little bit, but maybe maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. Um, okay, we've got a speaker, Speaker Johnson from Louisiana. It seems like he has hit the ground running. First order of business to pass a resolution supporting Israel, condemning Hamas. Uh, that seemed like an appropriate first action for the new speaker. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. And and uh, we had the resolution teed up and, and ready to go. Yep. And, and uh, we wanted that to be the first order of business. And, and so I'm glad that that is behind us as well. Yeah, it was not a unanimous vote. That bothers me. Yeah, it bothers a lot of us, to be quite honest with you. The fact that we have people siding with a terrorist organization, people in Congress, uh, siding with a terrorist organization that killed Americans, by the way, and are holding Americans captive. Um, you know, it just it baffles me. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, it, it, we're glad to see that that has has uh, that the resolution in support of Israel has been been passed. But what did the process of selecting and electing a new speaker due to the Republican caucus in the House? It was nice to see a unanimous vote for Speaker Johnson, but there's some real differences across the party in the House right now, aren't there? Yeah, that, I mean. You're going to have that in any caucus, um, or in our case, conference. Um, you obviously have members that represent very moderate districts and members that represent very conservative districts and everything in between. And so it's, you know, it just takes time. And Republicans tend to be very independent individuals. And so that's, you know, one of the main reasons why it took so long to find that consensus candidate. But that's the way our system is and the way our our the founding fathers framed uh, yeah. the government. Obviously, they had a contingency for this. And uh, and, you know, and that has, you know, that process um, sorted itself out. And so we have a very narrow majority. Um, narrow margin in a majority, and that makes it that much tougher because just a a couple of individuals can you know can obviously change the uh, uh, the course of things very quickly. Yep. Yeah. You know, Congressman, you say that we're going to have that in any conference that because of the differences in in the different districts and the people that are represented represented by the congressman, but you don't see it on the other side. The Democrats fall in line. Um, I like what you said about the independent thinking. It, if I'm looking for a silver lining in all that has happened, it is in the fact that there are differences within the GOP that are being worked out. Is is that the right silver lining to find? Yeah, I mean, and there's not a thing wrong with that. You know, again, Republicans are very, um, very much individuals, and they don't. Uh, you know, they don't just, you know, fall in line like like robots. Yep. It's you know, I think that's I think that's a very good thing, to be quite honest with you. Okay. You know, I represent my district um, to Washington, D.C. I don't represent Washington, D.C. back to my district. And I think that's an important um, yep. and distinguishing, uh, you know, characteristic. OK, so those differences mean that it's going to be difficult to move some of these appropriations bills. Is Speaker Johnson going to be able to find a way to move the appropriation bills through the House? I think he will. And, you know, we've already passed 70 percent of the funding for uh, the government in the appropriations bills that we've already passed. Today, we're going to do energy um, and uh, and that should pass. Um, it, it, you know, I don't see a reason why not. In fact, they just called a vote um, first series of votes. We've got 18 amendments to uh, uh, to vote on. And, and so. Um, we'll let the, you know, the process work itself out. That's that's the way it was designed. And the good news is, is that Speaker Johnson is uh, he's committed to doing all the appropriations bills, sending them over to the Senate. And then hopefully the Senate will act. Yeah, I've heard there there was some speculation that he might try to to get a, a spending package done to move back that November 17th deadline before taking on the appropriations bills. Is that going to happen? It's that's a possibility. It depends on on how much we can get done just in the next couple of weeks. I mean, we've got a schedule um, set out and uh, and hopefully we're going to you know make that schedule. And the problem is, is obviously depending on the amendments and the number of roll call votes that uh, that we have to deal with, that can slow the process down. But but uh, hopefully we can stick to the schedule. Right. OK. Is there still a commitment to cut spending 
on the GOP side? Yes, absolutely there is. Yes. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. It's great to hear. You're the chairman. You are the chairman of the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee. What's on the what's at the top of the priority list? Um FAA reauthorization, um, which we've got a deadline the end of the year um, to have that completed. Um, we're waiting on the Senate. We have finished the work in the House. We're waiting on the Senate to act and so we can go to conference. Um, then we're going to start working on WERDA, the Water Resources Bill, yeah. um, which is very important to those of us in agriculture and the way we manage the Missouri and the Mississippi Rivers and the Ohio River, for that matter, but all of our inland waterways and the Corps of Engineers. So we'll be working on that um, you know, this fall. And, and, uh, that's obviously a big priority for us as well. Did I, did I hear this right? Is the army Corps of engineers being asked to help out at the Southern border? Um, I cannot tell you if I have not heard that, um, okay. it could very well be, but I haven't heard that at least at this point. Okay. Is the house going to find a way to take up the issue of the open border? Um, well, that's, that's a good question. I know it's one of the things, and it's a priority for many of us in uh, in the House of Representatives. We have got to secure our border. This is, this is, you know what? What's amazing is after what happened in Israel, we're seeing an uptick of you know individuals that are on the terrorist watch list trying to get through our border, yeah. our southern border, trying to enter the United States. I don't know if that is a correlation uh, to what's going on in Israel, but it is definitely happening. And so we have to secure the border. This is a huge security um, concern. And the fact that the president has ignored it for so long uh, is extraordinarily concerning to me and to, to many of our colleagues. And now we're just starting to see um, the president react a little bit, but we've already got people in the United States um, you know, we you, you can't catch all of them. Um, right. We caught a lot of them, but you can't catch all of them. Yeah, they, they, that was I, I was going to make that point. The good news is, is that the process is working and some terrorists on the watch list have been caught. What we don't know is, is how many we've missed. That's right. That's absolutely uh, correct. Oh, man. OK, I want to go back to Word quick um, mm -hmm. because I, I, I kind of derailed us there and went to the border. Uh, what what uh, what is in Werda and why is it important for farmers and ranchers? So Werda is it's it's what we call the Water Resources um, Development Act, mm -hmm. and basically it deals with with inland waterways. We also have some port um, issues in there as well. But for the most part, what's important to us in particular, um, you know, in the Midwest, is how it deals with our inland waterways and how the Corps yeah. of Engineers manages. Um, those inland waterways. And so it's, you know, obviously the core um, has been, uh, you know, has been a huge problem when it comes to uh, their priorities. Let's take the Missouri River, a perfect example when it comes to managing those priorities and elevating things like um, habitat, um, endangered species and, and over and above navigation and flood control uh, when it comes to the river. And so we're, you know, we're, that's what we deal with in the water bill. And it's very important, obviously, to agriculture, anybody that farms on bottom ground yep. um, that's subject to flooding, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very important issue. Yeah, certainly is. I'm going to be down at the port of South Louisiana here in a couple of weeks, uh, taking a look and doing a tour 
and um, and broadcasting from the port down there. So we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of the issues that you're dealing with. That is for sure. How high up the priority list for the house is the farm bill? Farm bill is is very high priority, and it, I don't know if you saw it, but Speaker Johnson, that was one of the items that he listed as uh, one of his top priorities to get done. Um, picking of the speaker obviously delayed us a little bit. They had hoped to have it done by the middle of September. Obviously, we didn't make that deadline, um, but now the uh, uh, we are working through the process, and, and I hope to see the farm bill on the floor uh, by the end of this month. Well, first part of next month anyway. Okay. And so it, we've, we've got a, you know, we obviously have an extension and, and we will get it done. Um, but uh, it is a top priority, which is important. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. But boy, top priority right now is to work those appropriation bills through. Yes. This is going to be a real test uh, for the speaker. Good luck to you, uh, Congressman. And uh, I, I hope to see, the the GOP working together on these it should it's going to be an interesting test isn't it it will and but I think it uh, everything will be good excellent sir thank you so much for making time I know Absolutely. you've got a busy schedule we really appreciate you thank you thanks Chip you bet that is Representative Sam Graves he represents the sixth district of Missouri and there you go another yield report for us we've. Uh, We've got some better-than-expected bean yields there on the Graves Farm in Missouri. Uh, We are going to do another check of yields, and then it's time for a conversation with Lee Blank, Summit Carbon Solutions CEO. We're going to do that next here on AgriTalk. What if your commercial beef herd could be better than you thought possible? Genetic testing can help give you more confidence about what your herd is made of, and more importantly, what it can be. Inherit Select from Zoetis provides data-driven genetic insights to help you make more informed selection, breeding, and culling decisions about your cows and heifers. The journey from genetic potential to reality begins with Inherit Select. Ask a genetics rep how to save on testing with our whole herd promotion. Go to beefgenetics.com forward slash radio. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. Welcome back to AgriTalk. Let's go ahead and clear the schedule for a Yields in the Fields. 
Yields in the Fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by Microessentials, the super granule that packs balanced nutrition into a single granule for uniform nutrient distribution and season-long sulfur availability. Supercharge your yields with the mighty micro from Mosaic. Chip, this morning's uh, installment of Yields in the Fields comes from uh, our neck of the woods. Well, okay. my old neck of the woods, Blackhawk County, Iowa. Excellent. Northeast, right there around the Sparkle City area, where a grower reports, quote, corn in rotation a little below my APH, but corn on corn 15 to 18% below average. Yeah. He says he's mildly surprised by bean yields in the face of the driest August. He can remember most of the bean fields are right at APH. But that's 10 to 15% below the last two years, which were record yields due to perfect August conditions. Chip. Yeah. All right, Davis. Thank you very much. Uh, some big news on the carbon pipelines happening uh, right now, and we're going to get an update on the situation at, Subin- at Summit Carbon Solutions with CEO Lee Blank. Mr. Blank, thank you so much for making time for us this morning. How are you? I'm good, Chip. How are you today? Doing real fine, real fine. Getting some much-needed rain. It has started to rain during the show, so uh, it's feeling good, feeling good. Yeah, What's the status? It, what, what is the status of the Summit CO2 pipeline? Is it on schedule? Uh, yeah, I think it is. I mean, we've had some permitting delays, Chip, to be fair, and I think that's that's backed us up just a bit from our original schedule, but the permitting delays, I think, are – are now identified, and so we see ourselves uh, back on what we would call a revised schedule for for Summit Carbon. Okay. Uh, again, Chip, this is a with with Navigator removing themselves from from the landscape. Yeah, it really Chip just places that much more responsibility on Summit Carbon to get the infrastructure project in place, just based on what it means for agriculture and what it means for the U.S. Farm Gate going forward. So ultimately, we're as committed today as we have been. And, uh, and and as the day we ins- you know conceived the project, so um, we we consider ourselves on a, a secondary schedule, a, a revised schedule, uh, but still certainly pushing the project forward. Okay, Lee, it, it, it's no secret that this is a very controversial issue in in Iowa, in South Dakota, uh, and the reason that it's controversial is because on on one side of the the fence. There is a corn grower that is 100% in support of what uh, of, of the efforts at Summit Carbon. On the other side of the fence, that neighbor might be completely against it, uh, and it might be because it's uh, it it's gonna put a scar on their dirt. Um, the the what is at risk if if the pipeline project doesn't happen? You know, I think the risk chip comes down to the life, the longevity of the ethanol industry. And I think we get complacent sometimes and think about that consumptive market for corn on the ethanol side of the business. You know, it takes approximately 40 percent of the U.S. corn crop every year. And again, Chip, I, it, it gets to the point where people, I think, get they forget what that industry means. Um, yeah. in, in agriculture, there's been step changes uh, all along the, 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 uh, the life cycle, whether it be higher corn yields, on a on a every eight year basis, doubling the corn crop, whether it be the ethanol industry itself, Roundup Ready soybeans, various practices, all those various things are step changes in agriculture. And the ethanol industry and the infrastructure project that we are are going to put in place are really the next logical step change for agriculture, because that consumptive market uh, in the ethanol industry today for corn 
can mm-hmm. be a bit volatile. Those balance sheets are not as robust and as or strong as they 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 can could be. And again, mm-hmm. they're, it's it's not bad today, but ultimately those balance sheets and that industry go back and forth from a, a good to bad over time. Yep. So what this really will do will build a runway for the ethanol industry for years to come. With that runway chip, then we'll uh, derive higher corn demand at these consumptive markets, expansions of the ethanol industry to try and meet the sustainable aviation fuel markets yep. as well. Therefore, chip is it is it and the reason I get excited and want to do and, and want to be involved in the project, therefore driving higher values back to the US corn farmer, back to the US landowner, and back to back to that generational balance sheet at the farm gate. That's what really drives Summit Carbon every day. Okay. Yeah. And runway is exactly the right word to use because if uh, we can get the carbon intensity scores down at, at the ethanol facilities, it does clear that runway for uh, ethanol to jet, correct? That, that, that's correct. And, and let's face it, at, at 30,000 feet, Chip, we all, I think anyone that's reasonably talking about the issue recognize we're not going to be plugging in the agricultural value chain. Uh, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So let's think about a carbon responsible fuel a fuel that we can actually push into the fossil fuel industry to help them with their carbon intensity. And again, without carbon capture and sequestration, the the aviation industry, uh, without this project or projects like this, the aviation industry cannot reach the goals that they need on a carbon perspective to meet the sustainable nature of of the sustainable aviation fuel market. So this project is critical uh, to, to driving value Yep. Uh, to the U.S. farm gate through those consumptive markets that would then expand for for the ethanol industry. Yep. And again, I, I, I liken it this way. It doesn't need to be a discussion of food versus fuel, uh, Chip. Uh, that's yep. that, that discussion's over. It's food and fuel as, yep. as the acre can produce more, is producing more, and we now find consumptive markets for these products. Okay. It's just okay. outstanding. Just under a minute left here. Uh, Navigator canceling its pipeline plans. Is that an opportunity for Summit to expand its plans to include the facilities that we're going to tie into the Navigator pipe? It, it is. It certainly is. We, we uh, some time ago, from the conception of the project, uh, Chip, we envisioned a, a larger infrastructure. So we've already built the or, and planned and designed the infrastructure for uh, more capacity than what our current ethanol uh, partnerships are. So yes, we do have uh, the the opportunity to add additional volume to our infrastructure project, and plan on doing so. Frankly, over you know the next several months, uh, as as we talk with the industry and think about the industry. So again, it's it's a great opportunity for Summit Carbon, yeah. uh, in the sense that that we can increase the volumes on our particular project, and it's also a great opportunity for the ethanol industry to consolidate and find yep. themselves right behind you know behind one project. Excellent, excellent. It, it, Lee, thank you so much for making time for us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Chip. I appreciate it. You bet. SummitCarbonSolutions.com is where you go for more information. Come back this afternoon. We're going to be digging into the weather with Kevin Marcus.